Yo, welcome. Yo, thank you. Uh, so introduce yourself to the nice people at home. My name is Ryan Kipp. I am one of the directors of Cabin, the new short film that is going to premiere at the Big Apple Film Festival on November 2nd in New York City. Yeah, so a lot of people are kind of familiar with the Tribeca Film Festival, things like that. For, that, for people who don't know that film festival, break it down a little bit. Because New York's obviously got a lot of film history, film festivals. For sure. So, uh, well, the Big Apple Film Festival, I'm actually not sure what year it's in, but it is a smaller festival. However, it is becoming more popular, and it seems to be sort of one of the neighborhood festivals. Uh, it's, it's located in the East Village. They screen at the Village East Cinema, which has been there for forever. It's one of the sort of like art film staples uh, of the East Village. And I really like it because uh, the East Village has always been sort of an enclave in New York that I've I've always considered old school New York, you know, Andy Warhol, all that kind of stuff. So, so it's exciting. Uh, it and it's an up and coming festival, so it's it's uh, it's good. You mentioned like old school New York. Are you finding that New York is kind of changing and evolving <laughs> constantly, or is there still pockets like that where there's like they still hold on to the quote unquote old traditions of New York? Well, look, I mean, everything changes, right? Um, this is a real That's very I, zen. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about this for days, but I won't. I actually tried to make a film called Dollhouse Living based on uh, an old, uh, basically a, a sort of a Warholite of that era. Um, his name is Beauregard House in Montgomery. He lives in the East Village. He's a, he was a doll collector. He's a photographer. And he ran with all that old crowd. Long story short, uh, it became an, an, an entirely other feature. But I've always been very uh, interested in old school New York particularly the New York that artists could come and live for pretty cheap, right? Um, and the East Village is one of those old places that was burned into my mind as that kind of bohemia, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those places have gone. Um, Kim's video is gone that was on St. Mark's. A lot of that old sort of rough neck New York is, is gone. It's all banks and, you know, the Second Avenue delis moved out of there. I mean, um, I think that there's definitely some amazing art and, and, you know, things shift, but that type of New York is, is, you know, I, I think there's an argument to be made that it is, it is dead, possibly dying still, but dead. And does that make it harder then as an artist, whether you're a filmmaker or a writer, those kind of creative people you're talking about, New York has like, it's a beacon, right? It's a lighthouse. It draws a lot of these artists. Uh, Greenwich Village is another area, right? That kind of like draw, used to draw all these people. St. Mark's had was like populated with yeah. all kinds of poets and painters. Absolutely. And, like, does it make it difficult now when New York is kind of in this tension between like commerce and gentrification versus like this kind of like creative spirit that New York is known for? You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not the end all be all on this subject matter, but this is just my opinion. Um, I... I do think it makes it very difficult for artists to live here. However, I do think that just like everywhere else, New York has always sort of shifted and changed, right? I mean, um, if, if the East Village was where everything was happening 35 years ago, it's happening now in Williamsburg or it's happening, you know, in Bushwick or, you know, there, there is, I think it just shifts and changes. Um, but I think also, uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm sort of saying that New York is, is dying, I also think New York is always is at the same time always about resiliency. Like I think artists come here and if and if they're serious and if they really have it in their heart to be artists, they will figure out a way to make it and New York will you know, Borgard House in Montgomery always told me this. New York rewards talent. 
New York rewards people that, that persist and people that love what they do. And if you can keep doing it and you can keep making it here and scraping by, New York will reward you in little ways as you keep going. So as I'm saying it's dying, I also think that, that you know, things change and I think that New York still also rises a lot too. So <laughs> probably, you know, I'm talking out of both sides, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to pin down, right? Because I don't have any data, but... No, that's fair. I mean, it, New York too is also just based on reputation as well, right? And so yeah. it's hard, especially people who haven't been to New York or only been to like a few of the touristy places like, like Central Park and Statue yes. of Liberty... <laughs> To actually get a real sense of New York and the creative spirit, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and it's it's not a surprise as you spend more time uh, in New York City and you spend more time with filmmakers and writers. It's not a surprise that all these people, these creative people, come out of New York or are inspired by New York, right? From absolutely like Scorsese to I don't know how many bands to like absolutely Warhol and like. Yep. And so, is that one of the kind of inspirations? Was New York one of the inspirations when you were founding uh, Trigger Creative? Well, I I was I was here um, mm -hmm. and. And yeah, so, so I, I moved here as an actor and I always wanted to live in New York. I was born in New Jersey and, and moved overseas when I was a kid. And finally, you know, I was acting uh, regionally around the country. And after a while, there was a point where I was like, all right, um, it's time to go to New York. So I, I came to New York in probably 2004 and I was acting for a couple of years. And then I decided, OK, I, I, I love acting, but I really want to make my own work. I had my own theater company before. I really want to make film. I want to direct. And so I, I, I said to myself, what, what, what can I do to help me learn how to be the best director possible? So I took a, an editing internship, uh, you know, with a little wedding photographer company, right? And so within a year, I was actually freelancing as an editor. So um, after a few years of that, I started directing and shooting, and, and, and it sort of all came together. And then I formed a company called 89 Second Productions, which was sort of just me. And I started to do bigger and bigger jobs and produce. And then Trigger Creative about three years ago was formed by my old partner, Susan Herr, and I. Uh, her company, Philanthropy Media, which did a lot of philanthropic work, we merged together uh, because of our skill sets. And then that's what Trigger Creative is now. Um, and my lovely partner, Kara now, Kara Yates. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Fellow Canadian. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Um, she came in about a year and a half ago, um, and she's just been a rock star. Our, our interests in terms of film and acting and create creativity and also, you know, earning a living here, uh, they all align. So I feel like, you know, Cabin, we just produced a feature. We're writing a short together that Kara's going to star in. That's all just really been sort of kismet. So, um, and New York is definitely a place where that is, you know, it, it is inspiring. It's we, happening. It's happening. Exactly. Exactly. So the transition from actor to editor, uh, that's kind of a odd jump, isn't it? Like, yes, it, it, like we're more used to like actor, director, actor, writer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Well, OK, so when I was an actor, uh, I mean, I, I love acting. I always want to act, but it was always my goal in the back of my head. Like I didn't I, I wanted more control over the types of projects that I was doing. And I didn't want to be beholden to always I, I didn't always want to be at the hands of other people to tell me whether or not I'm going to work. And I wanted to create a situation for myself where I could A, create my own work, B, possibly make money at it, and C, basically create the work that I could actually act in as well. So um, it was sort of a perfect, it was sort of an epiphany one night, you know? I, I, we were house-sitting, my, my, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I were house-sitting in Brooklyn, and 
we were sort of down and out and, and poor and you know I was about to go on to another acting job that I was going to get paid 200 bucks a week for and that's New York experience too I, I mean seriously it, yeah <laughs> and, and I was waiting tables and we had like five jobs and so I found this editing internship and 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 I, I realized how much I love to tell stories when I started to edit because I realized that as an editor, uh, editors really make films. It's a skill that most, like the general public doesn't fully understand they what they understand do. It. They don't understand it. I mean, that's fine. But right. But it's like if you have a good editor. Absolutely. Like it it's makes, magical. It's magical. It's, it's, a it's a difference between two frames here, two frames there. You know, I mean, it's just, it's rhythm. I mean, I, I love editing. I love editing. And that was a very, once I started to really do that, I started, I'll make this short. I started in an, an ad agency in an in-house place and they would hand me, I had creatives come in and hand me uh, 10 hours worth of footage of all different types and say, we don't have a complete concept here, but we want you to throw together a three minute video, make it powerful and emotional. And here's 10 hours worth of footage. And so I'd sit there for the entire day or sometimes a week and do this. And I learned, I learned how to sort of tell a succinct story with all of this footage. And I, and I thought to myself, now I can go out and when I direct, I know exactly what I need back in that room because nothing else matters. It's all what's in those four, you know, in that one screen. Mm -hmm. And so I know what I need to shoot. Um, and that's just always sort of been my MO. Like it's, it's, it's efficient. Um, and it's also really taught me about story and what I actually need and not all this extra stuff. So, and then how, how being an actor transitioning from being an actor to a director, how does that work when you're working with other actors and things like that? Does well, the thing I always really loved about the really good theater directors when I was an actor solely was that all of the great directors that I've worked with and they're not, there haven't been many, but they have all been actors, directors. I think the quality, I think the best quality in any kind of director, whether it be theater or film is to be able to get your point across to someone who's not getting it and make them think that they, they have the idea too. It's not just you saying, all right, I want you to do this, do it. It's connecting with that person, realizing like what is inside of them as an actor and what their process is. Um, and coming from an acting background, that's, a, that's you know, we're actors, we're all, we, it's all about me. You know, we need that process, right? We don't that like feedback to be- too. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Because some, like I've done some acting, and then sometimes the director will call cut, and he's like, "Let's do it again," but he doesn't say anything. So then I'm like, "Did I, did yes. I do it wrong? Did he do it wrong? like the other actor did it wrong?" Or like, and you're always wondering, right? Yeah. 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 And then it's just like then it's an awkward moment. I'm like, oh crap, I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> it's true. I know. It's like, wait, wait. Are you, do you? Yeah. Exactly. I totally understand that. And it's different with film too. I mean, I'm still learning with film. Um, with theater, it's it's a lot more rehearsal driven, and it's a lot more uh, conversation driven and character, you know, conversation driven. But in film, a lot of times I just know a lot of directors and it doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're bad directors. I just, they just don't work a lot with the actors, but I've been realizing myself that, you know, when we were doing our feature, our lead, our, the, the woman who played our lead, fantastic act, actress named Laura Poe. She, she came in and pretty much, we had a very tight schedule, first of all, and that's another factor in film that you don't have in theater where you don't always have time to really have those conversations, but she came in and nailed it. Just, just, can I swear? Yeah, you can, yeah. Just fucking nailed it. Like, she was unbelievable. And she kept asking me, you know, Ryan, am I, 
am I doing it right? Like, what, do you need anything else from me? And I finally realized that she needed me to tell her, you know, cause she, in my mind she was nailing it and mm-hmm. we were ready to move on. Right. Finally, I sat her down halfway through the process and I said, you know, Laura, I, if I don't talk to you, it, I want to tell you, it means that you're doing amazing work and I just, I, I need to move on and I want you to just keep doing what you're doing. So, so, you know, it, it the intricacies between the film directing and the theater directing is a little different, but I'm, I'm still learning and, and it's, you know, it's, it's fun. Do you miss the audience transitioning from theater to film when there's like, it's just crew. So the yeah. feedback is also different too, right? From the vibe, the energy in the room. It is very different. I mean, I, I, of course I do. I, I miss theater immensely. I miss, I miss Shakespeare immensely. I miss filling a whole stage with voices and, and having those hundred people there, 200 people there or whatever. Um, as an actor, like I, I have to say, I feel I would do theater again and I want to do film as an actor still, but I love being a director because you almost get this closed. Like with theater, it's, there's a lot of pressure. It's live. There's, there's, no, there's no going back. There's no take two. There's no take two. And you know, I used to love that. I used to thrive on that. Um, and I did a show a couple years ago and I... And it was great. It was my first one-man show in the Fringe Festival, and I loved it. But it was stressful, more stressful than when I was younger. So I think I really like being a director in, a, on, in film on a set where it's the crew that I love and know, where I can be intimate with the actors, where it's this closed setting where there's no pressure. And I make sure to tell everybody, look, we are on a schedule, but we have to get this right. And I trust all of you. And if we mess up, we're just going to do it again. We're going to do it right. Exactly. That brings us to Cabin then, because you were basically alone as an uh, actor in <laughs> Cabin. So explain Cabin. Okay. First of all, I do want to say that, that my, co- my brilliant co-director, Davis Northern, is not here. Um, we've been directing for about a year and a half, and he also directed the feature with me, Three Metamorphoses. So this is a shout out to Davis. We love you. So Cabin, my grandfather went to northern Michigan, Upper Peninsula of Michigan in 1930, which is very near Canada. Um, woot woot. woot, woot. <laughs> yeah, ketchup chips. Ketchup chips. What? We have ketchup chips in Canada. Shut up. Yeah. Ketchup chips? Ketchup chips. You mean like ketchup flavored chips? Yeah. That's the... Like, you, oh my God. I need those. I have to have those. Okay, I will. I have to come back then. Okay, all right. Like, you're, gonna, you're gonna bring me ketchup chips, or I'm coming there. Come to yeah, come to Toronto, and we'll hang out. And then uh, yeah, there's ketchup chips. Can we have margaritas in the bar? Yeah, and uh, we also have uh, in the Pacific Junction, which is where we record. We also have uh, poutine spring rolls. Poutine spring rolls. So it's like a spring roll, and inside is all the poutine stuff, the, the French fries and the oh cheese, and we have a vegetarian gravy. No way. Yes way. Oh my god, I'm so excited. All right. Uh, where were we now? We got all, we got excited with all the ketchup chips. Ketchup fries, right. Yeah. Uh, um, we're talking about cabin. cabin. Right, yeah. right. So 1930. The reason why we're here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> My grandfather uh, took a trip by himself to, uh, before there was a bridge that, that bridged um, the Lower Peninsula of Michigan and Upper Peninsula of Michigan, went up to the Upper Peninsula, found 300 acres of, of old logging camp, and he bought it at five cents an acre. Because he wanted, he, he had the foresight to know that his family would, would just want some a space to go to. So he was an engineer and he, um, he found, the story goes, I didn't know my grandfather, but the story goes that he found three American Indians of the area to help him build the cabin. 
1933 is when they completed the build of the cabin. It's got a well. It's just old school. There's nothing fancy about it. But I've been going there since I was literally one years old. My dad took me there. Uh, it's just every summer of my entire life I've been there. And it's, it's my heaven on earth. So it's literally got a lake in the middle of nowhere with this cabin, 16 miles to the nearest town. I mean, it's rustic. So we were going to shoot some interviews with my father last year, last year in Michigan for the feature. And I told my crew, I have this idea for this short. And I've always wanted to film at my cabin. And they were all into this. So my co-director Davis and I were, I knew I was going to be in it. And I asked Davis to co-direct it because I, I needed, I, I don't feel, I want someone on the other side as well. The feedback gonna, again. Exactly. So he was, he was all about it. So off we went to the upper peninsula of Michigan in the worst fucking time for mosquitoes. There were, I don't know if you noticed in the film, but they became just another character. Like we have, we have, you know, hours of, of footage of just us swatting mosquitoes. So we were there for a week, about five of us, and it was a very tight timeline. We shot pretty much 18 hours a day, and everything was pretty real. So we, we went up there and sort of told the story about the building of the cabin, but, but with a lot of creative license. Um, and it was just a very, very special uh, week. It was, it was unbelievable. I mean, everybody, everybody pitched in. You know, Renzo, the other, the other actor in the film, played Aki. He pitched in. He cooked. Uh, our sound guy, Marchin, was, was you know, um, chopping wood. Like, we were just all, do, like, doing everything. And it was, it was a really, really uh, collaborative effort. And that's why I like to say that all of that crew, we were all filmmakers on it. Like, we all produced it. We all made the film. So <clears throat> it's a very special group of, group of people. So Yeah, Pixar does that where they put, like, in the end of the credits for their Pixar movies, they put the janitors and stuff like that, the cleaning crew. <laughs> exactly, because it, it's collaborative. I mean, it takes everybody, really. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of then um, this story, then was there because it had such a personal connection? Was that part of why you kind of sparked and wanted to really tell this story? Or was it just kind of an interesting story and then you just wanted to share it? Well, I have to say so. So I right now in the past few years, I've been I, my features about my the, the relationship I have with my father. <clears throat> um, he was an alcoholic when I was a child um, and we've been building this sort of awkward relationship for 40 years. And I've always been interested in, in really trying to tell the story of how a son loves, begins to love his father as he grows older. Um, so that's sort of where that originated. So that's, you know, I mean, Cabin is about a man who goes, who inherits his family cabin, hasn't been there since he was like 10, and his father just died, and he takes his ashes back to the cabin and has this sort of, you know, fantastical weekend where he meets this unexpected visitor but at the end of the weekend he's able to sort of move on and and at least move take another step forward with the death of his father not really having a lot of closure before that so that's that personal element element came into that um and then to tell you the truth i'm really interested in sort of the 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 history of of the area i love the area it's beautiful um it's very remote and i was at the time interested in uh, Native American religion. It didn't quite end up to be like this, but I, I originally wanted to sort of make a little short about that was uh, masked as a horror movie, but in the end was not, about sort of Native American spirituality and this guy that goes back and being touched by it. I don't think it really ended up like that, which is fine, but that's sort of where that element came in. The, the Native <clears throat> American element, too, does, like, 
it's a it's a good connection because right now we have all these there's a lot of unrest with like black lives matter and stuff yes. but at the same <clears throat> token too um canada's in the same boat where we've been horrible with our relations with native americans right. or native canadians and first nations and all these things and it, it it's it was also you kind of trying to bring a little bit of that element not, not necessarily like to do um that we could do for justice but just at least bringing it a little bit to the forefront without being a cliche or stereotype you know look i i'm not gonna <clears throat> i'm a i'm a white guy i'm a 40 year old white guy i'm not gonna really claim to 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 be like oh yeah i'm, I'm trying to fight this cause and everything because i'm not the person to do that um, the guy that plays Renzo, uh, the guy that plays Aki in the film, Renzo Spirit Buffalo. That's a cool name, by it's, the way. He's, he's, I wish he was here. Maybe you'll get a chance to interview him one day. He's, he's fantastic. I've known him for, for 10 plus years. He shot my first film. He, we met on the set of Across the Universe. Uh, we were both actors and like featured little extras in, in Julie Tamor's film. And I've known him ever since. And it was this, a fun movie, by the way. Yeah, oh, it's a, an amazing movie. She's a little crazy, but it's an amazing movie. That sounds accurate. All right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. She, yeah. She's, she's a nightmare, I right. think, but you know, um, but he, he is just such a wonderful human being. And I've always been very inspired by he's, he's Lakota. Uh, but he, he grew up in LA and then he moved to New York. He's a brilliant photographer. He does all these things. He does so many things and he's got uh, the thing about Renzo that, that I love is to me is very, uh, American Indian, Native American. By the way, Renzo, before we started the film, I said to him, I really want you to read this. I want you to, to tell me if there's anything that I'm getting wrong here or if we're referring to, to American Indians in any way because I would say Native American and he would say, we prefer American Indian. And I said, really? And he said, yes, trust me. And so that's the kind of thing, and I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's see. the kind of thing that I was like, I just really want to be accurate and not... I just don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to pretend I know something I don't. So it was very helpful that he, that I knew him and he was really game to do this. And I really wanted to bring this, you know, the character is, is, is like my heart, you know, it, basically the character is Jack, my character in the films. Aki is his guardian angel, really. You know, he's this, he's this portal to help Jack really handle this, this immense, you know, emotional situation that he's in. So, um, I just think Aki is, you know, you, you think you don't really know, and I don't know how you looked at the film, but some people say to me, you know, I thought it was going to be a horror movie and we didn't know what this guy was all about. And then in the end, you know, he's this sort of br brilliant arbiter of, of all of this wonderful stuff that Jack's going through. And, and that's makes me happy because I, that character to me is so heartfelt and, He's just—he's a guardian angel, you know, and I, and I love that. So there's that one scene where he kind of starts to walk away, and then you fade him out like a ghost. <laughs> yes. And he. We talked a lot about that. Yeah, <laughs> I could see why, and because up to then he was just kind of disappearing and disappearing, and then kind of like you don't really see him where he goes or what happens, and you don't know if the because the the main character too has been drinking a little bit, so you yep. don't know if, right? <laughs> so I get it, but the the thing I was bring the point I wanted to bring up was just that like. It's also just because he's dealing with his dad, all these kind of things in like the history. It's it, we all live with the ghosts of nostalgia. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> so and they're powerful. They're powerful. And so and I think like um, read it right at the beginning of the uh, film, the the woman on the phone, she's like, I thought you said you're never going to go. Yes. Kara. Kara. Let's give it out. Yeah. Woo. That was a great cameo, Kara. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the woman on the phone, she's like, why are you going up to the cabin? I thought you never wanted to go back there. Right. And that's the thing I think sometimes with nostalgia and like going to the past, 
is like, it's weird because you, the way that we live as human beings, we keep going forward, right? Yeah. We're always into the next minute, the next minute, the next minute. And we always make plans to do things next week or see a next game or something like that. <laughs> right. And we're always moving forward, but the past is like permanently there. It holds us. It holds us. Yeah. And we end up for whatever reason, we never schedule it, but we keep going back there. Absolutely. Like I scheduled this trip to New York city and I booked a ticket and like, I purposefully went to New York city. Yeah. But the past, it just kind of creeps up on you. Yeah. Like yeah, it does. It does. And I mean, I think that, that, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that you're, that you, that you caught a lot of that. It makes me very happy. I'm, I, I paid attention. Eh? No, uh, you, no, you're just great. You're five, like the five. perfect audience. There you man. go. Fucking awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, nostalgia has always been really powerful for me. I mean, you know, before we started this interview, we t I was talking about the eighties and the reason I love that band that I, that I was talking about so much is because it, it takes me back to 1986 when I was in my bedroom watching a Knicks game on my tiny little tube TV when I wasn't supposed to be watching it because it was like one in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, I feel, I, I'm very, uh, sense memory is huge and nostalgic for me. Like I, so yeah, I, I think that's, I think it's really powerful and, and the power of legacy and, you know, this guy going back to the cabin and you don't really know what kind of relationship he's had with his father, but you, you, you might be able to say, all right, it probably wasn't great, but it is that sort of like that draw. I mean, he, he doesn't know why he went back, but he had to go back, you know? And it's the fact that he's just sitting there with actual physical photos, which nobody sees anymore. Yes. Right. Yes. So there was a lot of nice little cues like that awesome. back to the. And by the way, th those photos are the cool thing about that is all of those photos. They're real. Serious? My family photos. They're like they're We found my father had a lot of them. But then after after my uncle died, uh, my father's brother, who sort of lived there for a while, um, we found my cousins and I found thousands, like thousands of old black and white photos that my that my grandfather took of trips they would take up there when my dad and my uncle were my were were like 10. Wow. So all of those things were were all of those pictures you see are real and of my grandfather and you know so it's sort of a it's sort of a cool realistic tie-in but no one's going to know that you know so you mentioned that like you kind of Trojan horses as a as a horror movie. Yes. Oh my god, that's I've never said it like that, but that's awesome. I love that you're saying that. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Cuz horror now is kind of it's starting to stretch a little bit. It's no longer just like teenagers going to have sex in the woods and then they get an <laughs> axe to the face. Even though some of those are pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what they get for having sex in the woods, yeah, right? Exactly. In your face. <laughs> but I mean, like, I just, I, not too long ago, I saw Lights Out, and, like, did oh, you yeah. see Lights Out? I didn't see it, but yeah, I've heard it. There's a couple it. cool yeah. moments in there. Okay. But it, I was just realizing as I was watching it, it's got a very low body count. Like, the mm. Freddies and uh, yes. Jasons and stuff, they, they kill at least a good about 10 people they do. Of, per film. That's a slasher flick right there. Right, yeah. a slasher, right? And then now Lights Out and some of the modern horror films, the body counts are very low. Like, two, three people might just go out. It's just like Let somebody, the right one in, the original. Right. And somebody's just being kind of tortured, more or less, yep. for like two hours. Yeah. And this was kind of... That's why I kind of understand that you guys m put it as a horror film because <laughs> he's your main character Jack is being kind of tortured by the by the past by this ghost for the duration of the short. Yes, yeah. I mean, I you know it's interesting. I I've always had a, a, a I love horror movies. I just I I love them. I I never set out to make horror movies when I started to be a filmmaker, and I'm still sort of you know becoming a filmmaker. But I feel like I really I'm. Ever since we did Cabin, I'm really interested in taking the genre and making more, but making them 
I, I really like, I mean, I like slasher flicks, I do, but I really love subtle, emotionally driven horror movies that sort of flip the genre on its head, right? I mean, I would argue that Scream, mm-hmm. even though it's a slasher flick, it flipped the genre on its head with the writing and being so sort of blatant about these are the, these are the rules of the game, right? I loved it because it was so different. Um, it the, was really smart, too. So what the, smart, right? Yeah. And then, and, and it was comic, right? It was so comic. And then last year's The Witch. That was. Oh, I didn't see that one. Yet. Oh, that's, that's Sam, on my homework. You gotta fucking see all that right. movie. It's so all great. Right. I'm I on mean, it. <laughs> it's all in period, too. So, like, and it's, it's psychological. It's, I mean, so I, I'm really interested, I think, going forward in really trying to make, um, make more projects that are horror, at least horror uh, based, and then really try to play around within the genre, you know? Yeah, because even just like some of the first shots in the in cabin, it's just like setting up the woods, <laughs> right? And it's just like there was an argument that that would be too heavy-handed, but w- w- both Davis and I at the end were like, no, we gotta we gotta lead him there. But the woods is always scary, <laughs> not just because of the slasher. Like I have the same background as you with the slasher films, but it's just like if you're in a haunted house, all you have to do is run out. <laughs> yeah, it's true. then you're safe. <laughs> When you're outside in the woods, there ain't in nowhere nature, to go. Yeah, you're already outside. There's no yeah. outside outside. For so sure. You're like, oh damn. <laughs> oh well. Just wait for the axe to the face. And then if you try to get in the car, someone smashes in the car and kills you there, right? Yeah. Totally. Or never starts. Or never starts, like in Friday the Thirteenth. Yes. yes, exactly. There you go. So cabin is now done, and has your family seen it like you mentioned because you were talking to your dad now and stuff like <laughs> has your family kind of seen it has it kind of does it has it impacted your relationship with your family or your dad uh actually nobody in my family has seen it but one of my little nephews jackson who i took the name from uh who is uh i believe jackson is like seven um and and he loved i was like do you are you sure you want to watch all 16 minutes of this um, you don't have that attention span he's like yeah i do and he watched it all it was great i want to purposefully uh, wait, they all know about it and they're all excited. And especially my cousins who went up there as kids too. And, um, I can't wait to show my dad. I think he's going to love it. Um, and everybody in Michigan is like, I want to see this film because they all grew up going to the cabin too. Nobody's seen it because I want to wait until it screens in a theater ideally. And if that doesn't happen near them, then I will definitely send them the film. So, and is there still value in making these short films, um, in this day and era or is there, (laughs) Because you know what I mean? Like, that's the audience is dwindling in a sense. I know from a creative perspective, it's great because you hone your thing, your skills, and you have a great opportunity to kind of experiment to play around. Yeah. And going back to horror, too, a number of horror films have kind of started off as shorts, and then people like it, and then they kind of expand. That's true. That's actually true. I thought about that the other day. It would be, we could really expand Cabin into into a feature length film, I think. But um, you said, wait, you asked me if. (laughs) If there's value. If there's value in... Yes, okay. Is there... That might be a hard question. Like, maybe value... It is a hard question. I will say, unequivocally, right now, before we get into the, the nuances of it, I think there's always value in, in making something you're connected with. Uh, and I think there's always value in making art. So, that said, you know, are we going to make any money off of this short film? Absolutely not. Will we ever make money on it in a perfect world? N- no, really. It's a business card. It's 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 a. I've what I've realized in the as an artist in the past. You know, I'm 41, and when I was 28, I was I was I was like, all right, I need to. You know, I want to be on Broadway and I want to make my own work, and it's all gonna happen at once, and you know, it's just all gonna happen overnight. But it doesn't. Like, 
I've realized in the past six years, ever since I did my one man show and I, and I did the collector and I, I've started to make these films, it's all about a body of work. It's not about, you know, it's not about all the reviews you get and everything, even though that's all nice and we all want that. I want success for sure. But the more you make and the more you just try to calm down and do it because you love it, also knowing you want success, it would be great to be in Sundance, it would be great to be picked up, all that stuff, but the body of work is what you can look back on and will most likely be the reason why you get that thing in the future that you want. So short, yes, I guess, you know, it is worth it because if we don't make short films, we can't make feature films. And if I didn't make Cabin, I would have had 50% less skill than I will the next time I make my next project. So I there think, go. I hope that answers your question. No, that was good. <laughs> no, I mean, like, everything now is like you said, like New York is dying and short film in a sense is also the same thing, but everything's dying. Like opera's dying. Well, exactly. Yep. Theater's dying. Yep. You, you have a theater back. Like, so. And at the same time, it's, it's not dying, right? right? You can always find it somewhere. It's there, you know? No, that makes sense. You do have a feature coming up though. Yes. Yes, we have a feature coming up. Break it down. What's the feature about <laughs> and right. when, when can we expect it? Well, we're halfway through the edit right now. It's called The Three Metamorphoses. Uh, it's basically tracks the... It's basically, in a nutshell, it's me trying to figure out how to love my father after a very tumultuous alcoholic relationship with him when I was a child. Uh, started therapy that was very good for me about nine years ago about it. It, it's effect, you know, his alcoholism has affected every relationship I've ever had in my life. Um, and we went to Pennsylvania for a week and we basically, we basically, I wrote a, a play that was going to be, sh that was shot as a film uh, with two cameras and we built a set. We were in one location, but it represented about 20 locations. So we went there for a week and we shot about, what, Kara, 70 pages? 70, 70 pages of script, which was a miracle. Uh, and it went over really well. And I think, you know, it, it actually combined our love of theater and film because we shot it very cinematically, but we also kept all of the sort of um, really great constructs that we love about theater. So, you know, I, I, it's not an indictment on my father. It's just telling a very real story and my journey and my journey to the, my path to basically learning how to love him through all of this. Um, I am very, 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 very terrified to show him the film, although I know I need to, even though at the end it's, it's mainly about me loving my father. And also at the time I just had a new son. Um, his name's Noah. He's 16 months old and he came Yay, to the, Noah. Yay, Noah. he came to the filming. So forefront in my mind was, you know, this thing about fatherhood and me dealing with my father. And I never wanted to be a father cause I never wanted to put kids through that. And so it's, it's very emotional. It's very powerful. Um, it basically, there are three people that play me throughout my life. There's a, there's a, a really great kid named Campbell. Uh, we found in Pennsylvania who played me as, as a young boy. Uh, there's an amazing uh, guy that just graduated from city college in New York, an actor named Sean Michael Beck. He played me in the, my twenties. He's fantastic. Um, and then I play me in the last part of, of the film. Um, and it's sort of the, actually the characters metamorphosing, you know, there's a metamorphosis into me actually as the character. Three. So exactly. And so it's, I'm very proud of it. And Davis, Davis did an amazing job cause I was actually in it again. And 
I'm just, I'm really proud of it. And I, and I hope that I, I hope, yeah, you'll be able to see it next year at some point. So. Okay. And the hope is, I guess, to kind of uh, do the festival circuit with it or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think there's a little buzz about cabin, you know, hopefully we'll play a lot of places and build up a little bit of an audience. We have a great festival strategist in LA that's helping us with that. So yeah, the hope, I mean, it's always the hope to go to good festivals and then, and then we'll see what happens. You know, I mean that that's, we're just going to try to get it out to as many people as possible. We're going to wrap up, but we got to touch on the Knicks and the Nets. Yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, what are you hoping? Because this is right now the start of the NBA season. Uh, oh. The Knicks reloaded now. They have D. Rose, whose knees may or may not be gone. The guy's right. made out of glass. Uh, <laughs> Noah, Przingis. Uh-huh. Uh, the Nets have uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin. So what are you hoping then, or what are you expecting out of these two teams this year? All right, full disclosure, I've been a Knicks fan since you know the early 80s. I, I wanted to be a Knick. Mark Jackson is my all-time favorite basketball player. I loved the Knicks in the 80s and the 90s. I still love Those the Knicks. Those 90s teams were unbelievable. I know, man. John Starks. Oh, come on. Yeah. Mason. Seriously. I was just watching some old game the other night. Um, I still love the Knicks. I have to be very honest right now. Um, look, I love Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, but I also think that Car- I don't, there's something about Carmelo Anthony that's he's just too not, mellow. That's just not, it's just not right. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, he's a great player, but I don't think he really. In, and I don't know the guy, but I don't think he inspires. I don't think he inspires a team, no. a championship team. He's not a Michael Jordan. He's not somebody that like really get, like rallies himself. You know, when Linsanity happened, I'm a huge Jeremy Lin fan because I love the underdog. And I think Jeremy Lin is an incredibly hard worker. When Linsanity happened, you know, Carmelo Anthony, he, he had a gold mine there. He was like, I mean, they could have really rode that to the top. And I think he was just an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was just basically like, fuck you, Jeremy Lin. Yeah. You know, I want the spotlight, which, you know, I mean, so in full disclosure, there's no I in team, but there's one in selfish. What's that? There's no I in team, but there's one in selfish. Well, exactly. You know, I mean, and look, I still love the Knicks, but I am very excited that Jeremy Lin finally, after five years of being a really decent role player, now finally comes back and he has control of a team and he's been doing very well. Scored 18 points in the opener. Tonight's the opener at the Barclays Center. I don't know if they have a great team, but I think it's a it, it's a good sort of like schoolboy loves and wants to play basketball, and you know he's finally got the chance now. You know after working hard. So that's my that's my <laughs> that's my two cents. All right. But then. you're going to the Knicks game, right? I'm going to the Knicks game. Yeah, Madison Square Garden, uh, Knicks and Grizzlies. So that should oh. be. Uh, the Grizzlies are awesome. Uh, yeah, That's so awesome. that should be a nice little fun one. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious to see the new the new look nor- uh, Knicks. Yeah. And well, Derrick Rose, I mean, that's uh, I really love the fact that they have Derrick Rose now, but he is sort of a wi- like he's sort of a wild card, right? Nobody knows. Right. He's a great player, but then is he? Like who knows? In the East in general, just kind of improved a little bit. Like Pacers a little bit better. Yes. Boston's got some nice young bucks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Knicks can potentially rumble. It's just if everybody stays healthy, it's if true. they they buy into the coach because they also have Jeff Hornacek as a new coach too. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh my gosh. Ooh, the old bull, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and played for the Utah Jazz and stuff like that's that too. Right. That's right. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting year. And Porzingis, I mean, come on, like that that kid's amazing. And Porzingis, we trust. And it's <laughs> and it seems like Carmelo Anthony actually likes him, right? Yeah, so that's a weird thing too. That but I think, is. yeah, but I think maybe Przingis' English is not that good, so maybe this is like <laughs> maybe he just doesn't know what he's saying. To <laughs> yeah, him. hilarious. So, oh man, 
Thank you, Ryan. So Thank Cabin you. will be, uh, you said it's at the uh, Big Apple Film Festival. Yes. And then hopefully it'll make a couple of more festival appearances. Yes, for sure. Uh, we're, we're just starting that process of, get, of, of applying. And so in the next, you know, six months, we'll be rolling out all the screenings and stuff. So. All right. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, and Sammy. And I cannot wait to come to the bar and have margaritas and have ketchup chips. Anytime, man. Pacific Junction Hotel Bar is always open for you. Sweet. Thank you.